This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. From their crimes will they escape. In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again to come before you to worship you. Lord, we recognize that you are awesome and powerful, that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you are holy, and I pray that you would uh, help us to see that ever more clearly this morning, that we would see your beauty and your glory, and that we would stand in awe before you, because you are who you are, and yet, Lord, you have condescended to, to love us, to make us your people, to show us grace, to show us mercy day by day, and that's the very reason that we gather together to worship you, so we, we thank you and praise you and Pray that you would help us to do that more so every day of our lives. God, we want to bring our needs before you. There are many in this world that is uh, so frustrating, so confusing, so uh, ever-changing. So, Lord, we bring our needs to you, whether they are uh, small and personal and uh, individual needs. Lord, we know that there are many who are suffering with illness, many who are uh, suffering through difficulties in uh, raising children and family relationships and uh, still continued loneliness from separation. And Lord, so many things and all of them matter to you. So we bring those needs before you and we pray for for healing in our hearts and our minds and our relationships and in our bodies, God, that you would uh, provide what we need. And Lord, for those who are hurting, for those who are suffering, we pray that you would provide uh, just hope and peace, reminding us that you are God. As we've already heard so many times, we have no reason to fear because you are God, because you are sovereign, because you are powerful, and because you are good. So Lord, help us as your people to trust in you. God, we know that you also see the things that are going on worldwide. We're still walking through this, this pandemic throughout the entire world, and people are suffering. We pray for, uh, for peace, for healing, for the end of, of this, and God, that, uh, that your name would be glorified even in the midst of, of this difficulty. 
Lord, we pray for the, the situation in Afghanistan. We pray that uh, those who are suffering right now because of what's going on would be, uh, would be comforted, would be kept safe. Lord, we know that you can keep your people safe even in the midst of, of something like what's going on over there right now. Lord, we know that there are so many who are, will be persecuted for their belief in you. We pray that you would solidify their faith in you, remind them that you are with them. Lord, we have specifically one of our EPC missionaries who has family members over there, and they are greatly concerned for their safety. We pray that you would protect them, that you would hold them, and that you would give comfort and peace and confidence in you to that family right now. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather under the teaching of your word. I pray that you'd be with Pastor Aaron this morning as he is about to, to speak uh, the word to us. I pray that his words would be those that you have planned for him to say. I pray that you would take those words and that you would apply them to our hearts, that your word would shape us and change us and make us into the people that you have called us to be. Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified, that the name of Christ would be lifted up and exalted in everything that happens here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you. If you do have your copy of God's Word, I would just ask you to have it open there to Psalm 56, as I will be referencing the many verses that are found in that passage. Growing up, I played a lot of sports and was involved in a lot of different uh, athletic competitions. And there was a phrase I heard repeatedly in those years, no pain, no gain. You know it. No pain, no gain. As true as that is in regarding athletics and sports, it's also true in physical therapy. When somebody goes through physical therapy, they'll tell you, no pain, no gain. But how much more true are those words regarding our spiritual growth? In our psalm this morning, the author is David. David is expressing the reality of pain and gain. This is the background to this psalm. In Psalm 19, we see David himself on the run from King Saul. And David is fearing for his life, and so therefore, David does something astounding. In, verse 20, in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, he actually flees to Israel's enemy. He goes to the Philistines. In fact, he goes to the capital city, city of the Philistines, that of Goth. I've got to ask you a question for a moment. How bad would things have to be in your life for you to run to your enemies? Just think about that for a moment. He feared his life, so where does he run? To the known enemy of God's people. Well, things went from bad to worse. See, the people of Gath, they didn't celebrate David necessarily coming to them. They had heard the great stories. In fact, they knew that he had slain the great giant, Goliath. But there was a song that went around that the Israelites liked to sing about David. The song went something like this. Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. When the Philistines realized who it was that was in their midst, they wanted to seize him. They wanted to take control of him. They wanted to basically imprison him. 
David did something at that point. He decided to act as crazy as he could, as insane as possible, and therefore he fled to a cave. It's believed while he was there in that place of pain and loneliness, was there in that cave that he wrote this psalm. This psalm which pictures his pain as well as his gain. The truth of the story be, for each of us, we all know pain. Pain is real for each of us. And pain is humbling. Because pain will force us to cry out. Pain will force us to look for help outside of ourselves. But it's there in that place of pain that each of us experiences real spiritual gain. Let's take a look. The pain that David expresses comes right off the page in verse 1 where he screams out, be gracious to me. Friends, when's the last time you've looked to the heavens and said, God help? And that's exactly what we see David doing in this text. He's crying out to God for help. Now we need to understand something that Pain and suffering is something that's known universally. It's not just true for David. It's not just true for those who attend First Pres of Trenton. Everyone in the world knows pain. Just ask the people of Afghanistan or ask the people in Haiti. They understand pain. But the truth of the matter is we don't have to look much further than our own faces, our own experiences our own stories, to say that pain is real. Pain and suffering is all around us. As biblical Christians, we know the root cause of this. We know that the root cause was the fall of Adam. When Adam fell, sin entered the world, and pain and suffering began. But friends, the point of this story is not just that we sin, but that we're sinned against. That's an important point. In living in a fallen world, it's not just true that we sin, but we're sinned against. And that's exactly what David is crying out to God for help for. Listen to his description of his enemies. In verse 1, he says, man tramples on me. He goes on to say, all day long an attacker oppresses me. In verse 2, he says, My enemies trample me all day long, for many attack me proudly. Jumping down to verse 5, he says, All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Finally, verse 6, he says, They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they wait for my life. Friends, as you read those words, you can almost see how David would feel so helpless. The individuals he describes are his enemy, his oppressor, the evil people, the wicked. They seek to snuff him out. They seek to make his life miserable. They seek, ultimately, to do him harm. Many of us in this room know exactly the feeling that David experienced. 
because we ourselves have experienced what it is to live in a fallen world and to be mistreated by others. The problem is, if we're not careful, this sin-fallen world, this being sinned against, can do something to us. It can make us hard. It can make us bitter. And it can even make us hopeless. And see, that's what David was fighting against. For all through Scripture, David is known as a man after God's own heart. And so he cries out, be gracious. Help me. Protect me. As we see with David, pain is forcing him to look up. To look outside of himself. Pain is doing something. It's humbling. It's, it's bringing him to the point that he's recognizing his complete dependence upon God. For where else can he go for help? I'm going to bet for all of us who are believers in the room, we've come to that place. We've come to the reality that there is help in no one else but God. And so we look, we trust, we depend upon God. It does something in David, as you'll see, and it's a repeated theme. I want to draw your attention to beginning verse 3. David begins to do something astounding. In his cry for grace and his explanation of what his enemy, the oppressor, is doing to him, David begins to sing. Verse 3 begins a chorus that's repeated throughout this psalm. Look what it says. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I will trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Friends, each of us have to come to terms with how do we respond when we're confronted with the reality of pain and suffering in this world? Where do we go? To whom do we cry out to? What is our reaction? What song do we sing? See, that's the question really, isn't it? Because pain is real. And so therefore there is the opportunity for gain to be real. What do I mean by that? Well, as I've already stated, pain has a way of getting our attention, focusing, or forcing us to focus outside of ourselves. And friends, I believe that is gain. Pain has a way of drawing us outside of ourselves and forcing us to look to the heavens. And that will always benefit us. That will always bless us. Just as we see it does David. One who's oppressed, afflicted, humiliated. It forces him to trust deeper in his relationship with God. Note David's words. I'll put my trust in you. In God's word I will praise. I will trust. I will not be afraid. Do you hear it? It's a choice. It's fortitude. It's a determination. 
David is setting his eyes to find his confidence where he knows it can be found. David's pain, again, has caused him to look outside of himself. No longer is he saying, I can do it. I'm strong enough. And people like me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I can't find help anywhere else. Lord, you help me. You save me. But he's doing something else. He's saying, God, I cherish you. I cherish your word. I cherish your promises. In your promises, I find hope. I place my faith, my confidence. I treasure what you say. See, what he's ultimately doing here is he's placing his trust in God's word. He's surrendering his fear. He's surrendering his fear to the creator, simply making it clear that the creation can do nothing to him because the creator is over all. It forced me to ask a question to myself as I was preparing this sermon. When trials come, am I trusting in God's promised word? One of the ways to do that is to memorize scripture, or at least to be faithful in reading it, because as I do, it will build up my confidence in my God. But as I do that, as I memorize scripture, as I read scripture, as I study it, Am I believing it? Am I trusting it even in the face of affliction and suffering? You know, as my eyes and my mind went to the people of Afghanistan, I realized the church was really growing there over the last 20 years. There's missionaries and pastors and all types of conversions. Amazing things were happening. But right now, in the midst of the turmoil, the same question is being asked by those Afghani believers. Will I believe the word? Will I trust it? Do I really believe it even in the face of affliction and maybe even death? The same is true for us. Whatever affliction comes around the corner, whatever life brings, whatever pain and suffering we may know, do we believe God's word? Do we trust it? Do we hold his promises sure? If we do, this brings gain. It brings gain from our pain because we begin to grow in hope. We grow in hope. See, as we truly begin to trust, we begin to determine, to, to resolve that we won't fear because God has everything in his hand. All of a sudden, we begin to see God is big and our enemies is small. Everything changes because of our faith, our confidence, our belief in God's word. David's own progression in this psalm reflects that. You see his most trialed, most uh, the climax of his fear found in verse 7 where he says, For their crime will they escape? Lord, for their evil, wicked deeds, will they just get away with it? This is the lowest point in the psalm where David is crying out to God, What's going to happen to my enemy? But notice he quickly answers it at the end of verse 7. He says, in wrath 
Cast down the peoples, O God. Bring victory. Bring bring me peace. Allow me to see that I'm more than a conqueror in you. See, our pain, our suffering creates opportunity for gain as we trust God's promises. And David begins to review the truths and the promises of God's word as he reflects here through this psalm. The first is he begins to express that God truly knows. See, that's one of the major things we have to come to terms with in our pain and suffering. We're not alone. God knows our pain. Look what he says in verse 8. You've kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He's saying, God, you know my pain is not wasted. Every sorrow, every affliction, every teardrop you've taken into account. Do you know how encouraging that is? How encouraging it is just to have a friend put their arm around you in the midst of your pain and saying, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm with you. But how much more special when it's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and can actually do something about it. David realizes God knows. Again, our pain is not wasted. As an earthly father, I know how painful it is for me personally when I see my children suffer. They can be just a little scrape of a knee falling off of a bike or a broken arm or a hurt relationship. And as a good father, it pains me. But how much better is the father in heaven? He will not let any of our pain, any of our sorrow go unnoticed uncared for. In fact, God will avenge on our behalf. That's one of the things David clings to. Not only that God knows, but that God acts. Look at verse 9. Then the enemy will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, God is for me. Are we afraid to say those words? The enemy would have us be afraid. He would remind us of all of our sin and unworthiness. He would tell us there's no way God could ever be about you. But friends, the scriptures tell us repeatedly God's great love for fallen humanity. So much so that he would send his own son to die for us. So when it says here that God is for me, David is absolutely confident. That God is for him. What assurance. What assurance this brings the believer as they remember truly God cares for his people. God is for me. God acts. He actually declares war on all of our enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's whom Jesus came to conquer. God is for his people. He will not abandon us in our pain. 
He is there walking with us. And this, David is just reiterating what Deuteronomy 28.7 says, God will scatter all of Israel's enemies. He's clinging to it. God knows my pain, and God will act. And David celebrates what good news this is. For God is for me. Oh, the grace, the rich grace that's found in this passage, that God is for his people. Church, understand this. Our gain is hope, hope that is displayed in praise, and hope is a powerful thing. Notice what David does in reaction to this knowing that God knows and that knowing that God will act. David praises, look at verse 10, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord in whose word I praise. He can't help but celebrate. But David doesn't just praise. David again sings his chorus of trust. In verse 11, he says, In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God's for me. Who can be against me? David seeks to honor God, trusting his word. Look what he says in verse 12. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. He has an assurance that God will actually deliver him, that God will actually provide for him there in the midst of his sorrow and pain. And this is why David sings. This is why David praises God, because of deliverance. Again, look at verse 13. For you have delivered my soul from death, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Friends, don't miss that. He's preaching the gospel to himself. Right there in the midst of verse 13, he's preaching the gospel to himself. See, David can sing these praises and he can thank God for a deliverance he knows will come. And that deliverance would come in the person and work of Christ. But when David wrote these words, it was still yet future, but he had the assurance, the hope that God would deliver. And David trusted. David believed. He believed it would happen. And friends, we look back to that deliverance, that light of life that ability to walk before God in innocence, the understanding that our souls will be delivered from death, we look back in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, in Christ, we see our deliverance. And our deliverance, church, has already happened. It's happened because Jesus went to the cross. Because Jesus there, at that place of death, defeated all of our enemies. There, at that place, he bought for us victory. Christ is, in fact, the light of life. 
In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus has already died and has had victory over death for us. We have nothing to fear. What can man do to us? And so we have this victory now. But we look forward to what is yet to come. And it's in that tension of the already, not yet, that Paul writes these words in Romans 8, beginning at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, the grace, the amazing grace that is given to us. The question for each of us is, do we find it amazing? Do we find it amazing that God is for us? That nothing shall separate us from the love of God? No matter the pain, no matter the suffering. For Jesus has come and Jesus has won. The Apostle Paul wants us to have a very clear understanding of how this victory happened. He does so talking about the humiliation and exaltation of Christ as he writes a letter to the church in Philippi. In chapter 2, Paul says these words, Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Friends, Jesus knew pain. But Paul continues, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus knew gain. Jesus knew gain because Jesus knew pain. And as Jesus walked with his disciples on this earth, he reminded them repeatedly to take up their cross and follow me. That's our calling. As we endure the pain and the suffering of this world, it's ultimately to cling to Jesus. See, we should expect pain. We should expect suffering. 
But in the midst of that pain and suffering, we should trust that that pain will bring only gain. That's because of Jesus. For we can be assured our gain comes from Christ who knows our pain and we win because he has already won. Praise God for the grace and love of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this text, Lord, I know that for our congregation and the world at large, pain and suffering is real. But Lord, I know for the believer that pain is really gain as it forces us to look outside of ourselves and look to the place where help can truly be found. So Lord, I pray that we would preach the gospel to ourselves daily, just as David did, recognizing the hope that we can have, not because we're good enough, but because Jesus has already won. So Lord, may we cling to him. May we cling to your word and all the promises of hope that it contains. And may we find victory and peace that it provides. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.